1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Welcome back to Sports Talk here on The Big 870. Mike Dettia, along with Charlie Long. Bobby taking some time off this week. He'll return next week to Sports Talk uh, Charlie, let's go back to our Oakland Hard Jewelers talking text line. We're going to go to Jimmy and Gretna. Jimmy, you in the huddle with Mike and Charlie.
3: Hey, what's up? Y'all look happy lundi Gras. I'm happy Lundi-Graw to you, brother. Man, I'm stuck in this traffic, man. Everybody's fighting over parking and all that <laughs> stuff, man. I'm ready for it. <laughs> the to be worst over. part about Mardi Gras. Oh, man. <laughs> the worst part, man. People get territorial, man. it's The first weekend's one thing, but the second weekend, forget about it. They they block off a whole, a whole block they put that caution tape out there, like at the crime scene and they put that blue tarp out and forget about it. You know, it's all theirs. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Then, you know, Hey, look, listen, sports wise. And I'm switching gears. You're looking at college basketball down here, guys, you know, Tulane basketball has impressed me. LSU, man, they started, what was it? Mike 11 and one. Yep. They had just beaten a top 10 Arkansas team. Things were really looking good. Considering what happened and transpired with the will Wade debacle. Um, you know, and then they've just gone on this slide. And, you know, we knew they had some talent issues with the, uh, you know, transfers and all yeah, the new once, faces once and Will, whatnot, once you
2: know? Will left and then you saw <laughs> Max Exodus uh, from LSU, you know, it, it's piecing something together so quickly uh, that uh, mm-hmm. it, it really surprised me the early start and how well they had played. Uh, they had played great defense. But now, Jimmy, you can see they just can't score. <laughs> Just you yeah. can't put the mm-hmm. ball in the hoop at all. Uh yeah. it's making it right, difficult yeah. because there are games that they should have won. That they you know, they just couldn't make those critical baskets.
3: Yeah, look, and I think Tulane's the NIT team, UNO really has had a rough year. Schlesinger's had a rough year on the lake front. If UNO wins two out of the last three there, Mike and Charlie, they will go to the South and Conference tournament. It wasn't looking good, but they played Nickel State this Thursday and Gentilly pretty much going to decide if they go or not. And and like I said, looking at baseball, uh, man, the, the future looks really bright for LSU. The future is here now. Uh, you know, baseball is hard to predict. I told you that before, Mike. It's not like football. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it way back. I was talking to a friend of mine like this. You know, you remember, I think it was 2007, Mike, in football that Tulane was still playing at the Superdome. And they were up, I think, 10-7 at halftime to a LSU team that eventually won the national championship that year. You remember that game?
2: Matt Forte.
3: Okay. Egg, egg. Now, listen, the reason why I bring <laughs> that, that up team.
2: out of the blue. No, Matt Matt had it visioned. He was on with us, and, uh, man, he talked about how that meant so much to him. That to, because LSU didn't recruit him, uh, they had spoken to him but never really recruited him. Some extra juice, and what? so man, he wanted to sort of make them pay for it. And uh, uh for a half, it held up. And ma- matter of fact, I think for three quarters, it, it pretty much oh, yeah. held up. But then the fourth Mike, quarter, LSU, yeah. you know,
3: kicked the doors and, open. And, and that's my point in football. You got the depth, you got the size, you got the speed, but mainly that depth against a team like Tulane, which at that time didn't have what they have now. And uh, it's just a matter of time, Mike and Charlie, that they're going to catch up and win a game like that and do what LSU in 2007 would do. In baseball and basketball, it's really hard to predict. You know, like all the years we watched Kentucky in the big dance, they shot a lot of three-pointers. And, you know, you have a night where you don't make those three-pointers and you lose to a a sixteen seed or a fourteen seed or something like that in the big dance. It happens. Baseball and basketball is hard to predict. Football a little less, I would say. You know, everything's up. That's why they play the game. But look, again, on paper, LSU baseball looks stacked. Uh Charlie and a guy. And you know I'm a Southern Miss and and you know I'm a Southern Miss guy. They're gonna have two great baseball teams right there. Yeah, we're gonna be on a collision course this year, Jimmy. Hey, it's coming down to Southern Miss and UL in the Sunbelt Basketball Championship. You can mark it down. It's happening right I now. So that. May the best team win. Happy Mardi Gras. Talk to y'all uh, in a week or so after this. Uh, <laughs> all this alcohol gets out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you
2: Jerry. Appreciate it. But, uh, you know, again, that that's a program at UL. Uh, man, Coach Robichaud had it going in baseball, and and it's continued.
4: Yeah, uh, Coach Diggs has been doing a great he job. He does
2: a fantastic job. we got to get him on yeah, absolutely. Uh, to talk about the raging Cajuns in, in, in baseball because, you know, he sits at kind of a strategic spot where you can go a little bit to your right and kind of recruit into the Acadiana, River Parish, Bayou areas, New Orleans, Baton Rouge. You go to the left, and he's got that Texas region. Right. Got, got all that all that baseball talent uh, out in the Texas high school ranks. And so uh, that's why I always thought McNeese, where they were situated at, that you would think the programs would be better.
4: Yeah. I mean, back to a couple of points that Jimmy was making. For one, you know, about college baseball being a little bit more up in the air. There's still that postseason curse, Mike. I mean, last year people thought that maybe Tennessee would break it. But the number one seed entering Omaha, like entering the the college baseball. That's why Abad threw a
2: fit when you said it right off the bat about LSU being number one ranked.
4: But it, but it's entering the postseason. Entering the, the postseason is a little bit different. But
2: we had to explain him that because he threw a fit. Oh yeah, because he knew the number nineteen ninety nine.
4: Nineteen ninety nine Miami was the last team to enter the postseason as the number one overall team in college baseball and win the national championship. You
2: did a little study, and uh we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the week, about teams before the season, and D1 Baseball, uh, who we had on last week, he made the comment they had Ole Miss number one Kendall ranked. Rodgers, yep. And, and, and Kendall made the point. No, we had them number one ranked. They didn't stay for long uh, because uh, they lost some games, and then really, man, they hit the skids. Yeah. Middle of the season, and then all of a sudden – that weekend series in Baton Rouge, and Just it, rejuvenated them. It, it turned that whole baseball team around, and they got hot. and And that's the hard part. I think what Jimmy brings up is correct. Um, in basketball, when you get into the uh, yeah it's Sweet Sixteen and you know the you know March Madness, it's a one game. Uh, you don't play well that game, you out. In baseball, it is a series, but how hot can you get at that point? And Ole Miss got hot, almost similar to what Mississippi State did the year before. Yeah,
4: right, two years ago. To what Jimmy was saying about Southern Miss and UL, I think there's going to be a really good series coming up this upcoming year because both of those teams have a little bit of bad blood the last couple of years. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think I remember what just Kendall was saying. Just a little bit of bad yeah, blood? Just, just a little bit, just a little bit. But I remember what Kendall was saying – when we had him on last week, when he said that outside of the SEC, and I think he had the Big 12 at, big at number 12, two. Big 12, yeah. He said the Sun Belt is right there, right below those two Power Five conferences. And the now Sun Old Belt's Dominion coming in. Old Dominion and and, and Southern Miss. Yeah. Uh, two really good baseball programs coming into the mix. I, I think that what the Sun Belt's doing in baseball, for any Diamond fans,
2: they got some really good programs there. And you see why a lot of the big... Uh, so, bigger teams are trying to purge some of those teams of their top players, too. Yep. That's when you know you got a little bit of talent. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870. And Tulane basketball coach Lisa Stockton will join us right after this break here on the Big 870.
1: well you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds what could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds let odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs advertise with odyssey visit ads.odyssey.com
2: we're back here on sports talk on the big 870 mike Detella, along with charlie long we're going to go back to our Oakland hard jeweler's talk and text line and uh Miss Lisa Stockton's on with us, the winningest women's college basketball coach in Louisiana history, uh, surpassing Leon Barmore. I know I'm getting old now because I remember when Leon was there. I also (laughs) remember when Sonja Hogg was there, too. So uh, I got some years there. But um, first of all, uh, Coach, congratulations on on getting the mark. And um, I, I know it's... I don't know about the moment, but you're going to really realize that impact one day. Okay. Today, you, because you got some of your season you got left to play. You got to play East Carolina. You got to play Memphis. But after the season and maybe a few years afterwards, uh, can just kind of soak it in a little bit, the magnitude of, of winning 577 games.
5: Well, you're right. I mean, as a coach, I'm just trying to win the next game. So, you know, that one—that was that in the rearview mirror. But, um you know, I think um, I will look back on it, and you know, Leon it, it did so much not only in Louisiana for women's basketball but nationally, and just um, his impact on our game is tremendous. So, you know, I I feel very honored just to be in that in, in that same sentence with him. But you know, I think um, the other thing I look at is, is being at Tulane 29 years is really a blessing, and and I'm just fortunate to have that happen,
2: Coach. Uh who's had the biggest impact? A lot of people say, oh, my parents. And, and, you know, if you take the parents out of it, biggest impact on your career as a coach, uh, who who made, uh, or maybe there's a couple that really made the difference in your philosophy, your style of coaching, and, and, and how to handle people? Because today, uh, it's not cookie cutter anymore. You, you got to learn that, you know, not everybody takes the coaching the same way.
5: Yeah, you know, I think, um, it's a lot of people that influence you. You're right. Your family does and influence you. You know, back when I started playing and playing competitively and, and went to college, you know, women's basketball was in its early stages as far as scholarship. You know, I had a full scholarship to college and that was rare. Um, so, you know, I, I look back on that and think of, you know, who influenced the game and gave me those opportunities. And, you know, growing up in North Carolina, um, a couple of people, I, I, I think Kay Yao, I went to, her camps as a kid for years and I knew KL, I knew her family and, you know, just um, having that influence was amazing because you saw what you could be. And they say, if you can, if you don't see it, you don't know if you can be it. And right. uh, I, I think she was definitely there in North Carolina and had an impact. And, you know, about three and a half hours down the road was Pat summit. And, you know, you had just her influence and, and just what she meant. She was like the, the, the first coach I saw on TV um, and women's coach. And so you know, I think there was a lot of those influences when you're young, and then you realize, oh my God, there is an opportunity after I finish playing to to do something in the coaching ranks.
4: Coach, you were talking about how things have changed since you were playing, since your playing days. But can you also talk about how things have changed since you just started coach, since you had started coaching in you know the 90s and. Uh, late 90s and early 2000s how things have changed since then
2: they had no transfer portal back then that's, right that's a fact <laughs> <laughs> yeah you
5: just have to sit
2: right you to sit, right you, you know, can go but you got to sit out up. a year
5: exactly but you know you did have a lot of players that were going to come to our program and stay four years i mean right. that's, that's definitely one of the things that you know we really created <laughs> our program we built that with four-year players you know and a lot of louisiana players and um you know i'm very proud of that but you know the changes in it um you know, probably the support of every program. I, I think you had some programs that supported the program to a high level, and then you had some that didn't at all. And I think now across the country, you know, women's basketball supported, you know, at the highest level at each, each institution. Um, I think that's one, uh, the number of scholarships. There's 15 scholarships now. I think that's, you know, certainly grown over the years and, and given opportunity out there. But you look at the game, even the NBA, the, the games changed. You know, I look back at my early years in the 90s, and, and we played with, post players a four and a five and they posted up and it was really the three-point line was valuable but not nearly as valuable as it is now so you know that's changed the game a lot to to you know just the pace of the game and, and the style of the game has changed tremendously
2: coach you say growing up in north carolina i think we had this conversation maybe last year and to see you know when you're there uh north carolina college basketball dean smith And then all of a sudden, North Carolina State hits, you know, and they have the great David Thompson there and and Monty Tile and Burleson. And you're like, whoa, Um, that was something special to watch. But to grow up there to see what Dean Smith did in North Carolina to to enhance the whole game of basketball. Uh, I I remember growing up watching those teams and then seeing North Carolina State, and I'd never seen anything like David. I'd never seen no. anybody that could jump and and score the way he could. He, he was phenomenal. And, um, you know, knocking off the giant at that time, uh, UCLA. Uh, oh, yeah. who who oh, was uh, the only team that could beat them was, the at that time, the freshman team at UCLA. So, uh, growing up there, that had to have a big influence on you also.
5: Well, it did. You know, and I talked about going to KL's camps at NC State. So, I was I was an NC State fan, young in my life. And I think we talked about this, is that that game that North Carolina State beat UCLA and knocked them out of the row of national championships, I was there. It was in Greensboro, my oh. hometown. And I remember my father saying, you yeah, know, that man on the other bench, the coach in UCLA, he's really famous. You're going to know who he is someday, and that was John Wooden. <laughs> you know, and I remember that. And to this day, I'm like to my father, I'm like, oh, my God, it was John Wooden. I had no idea what that meant, you know. But, um, you know, later on, again, you, you talk about Dean Smith, and, you know, I went to school at Wake Forest, and, you know, the, we had some uh, – our men's team had some great teams at Wake Forest, too. And, you know, Tobacco Road was, you know, in my veins. You know, you you, you were proud of it. You were proud of the basketball there. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that basketball was such a big thing. I played every sport, but basketball was, you know, what I lived to breathe. And, you know, it definitely was the one that gave us the most opportunity at that time.
2: You know, one of the top vacation spots for people on the bayou now, though they have maybe a second home, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. It's yeah. cool there during the summer. Well, cooler. Uh, I can't say it's cool, but it's cooler. And uh, I have people around me that say, oh, man, Mike, when you retire, you got to buy you a place in Asheville, North Carolina. Go stay the summer there. Now, winter, you might have to t- take off back uh, to Louisiana, but uh, Asheville's the spot during the summertime. You talked about homegrown talent and to see Dinah Jones. Uh, I remember watching her at John Curtis, uh the last game you played against Cincinnati, she, she scored 19 points. She's been averaging mm-hmm. double digits. Uh, for somebody that hasn't seen Dinah, kind of give maybe a scouting report on her.
5: Well, you know, Dinah's really special to me. You know, I, I saw her at Curtis. She's probably eighth grade. Um, she came to our camps. You know, I feel like this is a kid that happened you know, in a long time. And she had a great she had a great career. Like, you look at it. I mean, she was one of those kids. You talk about the transfer portal. You talk about all that. I mean, she stayed five years, you know she's getting her master's now, and she stayed home and you know she she wants to do special things here and you see her play you know she's she can score on all three levels, she can shoot the three, but she's a five eight guard that can take anybody to the basket and score the basket you know and um you know, she's got passion and you know she's what you want to see in a player she's got energy and passion she's been a captain for two years for me, and you know her senior night is on Saturday, and it's really. You know, I guess it's time after five years, uh, but it's really kind of sad because I think she's, uh, you know, she's really been family to us, and you know, I hope people come out and see her because uh, she's really special.
2: You've seen also to the development improvement too with uh, Akira Middleton and a, a Niger mm-hmm. Grant um, uh, more on the offensive side. I, I think you knew she, they could both play defense pretty well, but becoming better shooters, putting the ball in the hoop.
5: Well. You know, one thing, we talk about the changes in basketball, and I think one thing a few years ago, we really have, have changed our system a little bit. We've really worked on skill work and shooting and trying to develop them on the offensive end because basketball is so high-scoring now. So I think those two players are, are, are some that have really benefited from the summers of working with the, the skill development and all that. And, and you know, Middleton, our, our last we won our last three, and Middleton was responsible for a couple of them. Right. You know, she really has played great, and, you know, again, Anijia Grant, is, we've had some big games, and she's really stepped up. And, you know, I definitely believe that that, that skill part of it, um, you know, you, you can't just work on the defensive end. And, you know, I'm a basketball coach. I like to score 70 and 80 if I can. You know, and so, you know, it's been good to, you know, to have those kids really develop and give it some points.
2: Coach, I got to see some of the highlights, and it really surprised me. And I knew they would get caught maybe in a game like this. What old Miss – Uh, did to South Carolina and bring them to the brink uh, in overtime because you know what you I've watched that South Carolina women's uh, program before and they look like just a juggernaut team it reminded me so much of a kid watching UCLA play basketball on the men's side of that their bench was so good and then I'll watch Ole Miss they got in the ring. They were not intimidated by South Carolina, right. and they they were swinging. And they they almost took one, almost took one away from uh, South Carolina.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think right now you're seeing you see, see some games that are close. You know, you talk about UConn. Well, UConn lost two games for the first time in 30 years. That's yeah. incredible, right? Um, but, you know, I do think you, you get into February, you're worn down, you know, you got a team like that with Ole Miss got nothing to lose. They're going to play their best game. They're kind of loose. You know, it, and that's why that's what makes basketball great. You know, you you have so many games and you got to go out and show up for all of them. And then we're getting closer to Midnight Madness. I mean, at, to uh, March Madness to where, you know, some of these teams are going to play up and, and they're going to be upsets and, you know, all those things. So, you know. Again, I'm a big college football fan, um, but yeah, you know, the nice thing is for us is you can slip up and still have a chance to win a national championship. And so, you know, I, I love this time of year to where you know you see some teams really playing up and, and having some upsets.
2: Looking at the net, the last two regular season games, East Carolina and Memphis, uh, I know you want to get W's there, but what do you really want to kind of push to this team as you're entering tournament time?
5: You know, I think for us, um, this has been, you know, a different year for us because, um, you know, last year we had the five seniors and they stayed back for the COVID year. And this year you got a group of people that a lot of them are new playing together. And I think our, our big obstacle has been consistency, you know, just especially on the offensive end, just, just being consistent from game to game and from quarter to quarter. And so what I'd love to see is that. I'd love to see that same, you know, energy on offense, that same energy on defense to be consistent and and we have done that the last three games i think that's been pretty good so you know that's important for us i think if we do that you know both of these teams are playing really well right now east carolina sitting second place in the league and you know memphis is right, right there third or fourth um you know i definitely think if we can do that talent wise we can match up it's just a matter of you know you just can't have an off night and you can't have an off quarter then it's you just fighting from behind
4: coach is it also about building confidence towards that aac tournament because i mean East Carolina and Memphis are two of the top four teams in the in your conference right now. So you're on a three-game winning streak. They're also on winning streaks of, of their own. Maybe picking up a game or two to close out the season, talk a little bit about the confidence builder going
2: into the tournament. Because, Coach, it's between the ears sometimes, too. I mean, talent is talent. Oh, uh, but oh, between the ears, definitely. if you get them to believe they can play with these top teams, they're going to do it.
5: In and our league, you know, South Florida's really separated themselves as being, you know, the top team. They've already won the regular season, but you know, I think in our league, anybody can beat anybody. And so, you're right, the confidence piece is huge. And um, again, I look at senior night. How good is Donna Jones going to be on senior night? How good are how, how much are her team going to play for her for senior night? So little things like that matter. And you know, the confidence going in. I mean, we can make a run and win the tournament. You know, there's no doubt. I mean, we've had. You know, we've had some games that, you know, we just didn't play well. But, you know, again, we played well the last three. Um, When we were at East Carolina, the game was a one-possession game with three minutes left and then, you know, turnover to miss shot and it was over. So, yeah, confidence is huge. And, you know, a tournament, you know, you go into a tournament and and play your way in, win that first game, win that second game and and have confidence. You know, I think our tournament, I think there will be an upset in our tournament, and I just hope we're the ones doing it.
2: Coach, uh, I have a, uh, someone text me that they wanted me to ask you about the transfer portal and your philosophy toward bringing in people. Would, will you take a longer look at the transfer portal or would you try to maybe get a bit and a piece here and there, but mostly hang into the high school ranks? So just sort of a clarification of your philosophy on that. Oh,
5: will that change from year to year. You know, I think it'll change from year to year. I mean, I'm I'm old school. I love freshmen no come seniors. If you ask me what I would love, I would love that. You know, last year we lost we graduated seven players a lot because the transfer portal put them in there. You know, we've also lost some kids out of the portal. Um, so you know, we we hit the portal hard last year um, to be able to replace that experience. But I do think it, it really depends on your year. Um, we're pretty we're very committed to signing high school seniors, and we signed too early. Um, I want that to be a part of our culture to have those seniors that can grow up in your program. Um, but, you know, when you lose experience, like again, Dinah Jones, it's fifth year. If you can get another player that, that can bring you that experience, I think you got to do that. But I will tell you, our league is hitting it hard. So, you know, if, I, if we don't do it, you know, we're going to play against juniors and seniors. And, you know, it's, you got to kind of find that balance. And um, for us, you know, Tulane. We have a few obstacles in that, and that you know, you've got to get the ones that are the right fit academically, too. But, you know, I definitely think it's, it's changed basketball to where everybody's got to consider it a little bit.
2: Lisa, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. We really appreciate it. And, again, congratulations. Great accomplishment. And um, you'll enjoy it a lot more years from now. You know, because at, at the moment, at the moment, you now. don't take it in because you got stuff to do. <laughs> you have games to play. But you you really soak it in years from now.
5: Well, I appreciate that. And listen, I'm glad you guys are working. I didn't think if I worked at Lundy Grove, Yeah, well, well Charlie and I got to. Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, him. He get the free pass. He's out of town uh, for the week. But uh, no, Charlie and I got to work. So we're holding down the floor. Yeah, we're we yeah. we, we doing the best we can.
5: Well, great. Well, guys, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, again, I, I hope uh, hope we can get back on here and talk about something really good in a couple of weeks.
2: Thanks so much, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Alrighty. Thanks, Coach. Lisa Stockton, uh, head women's basketball coach at Tulane, and now the winningest women's college basketball coach in Louisiana history with 577. Man, Leon Barmore, my God, his impact on, on women's uh, college basketball at Louisiana Tech. Then he he kind of gets away from it for a little while. He can't stand it no more. So he goes coach with Ad Baylor. He, he goes with Kim at Baylor after that. He couldn't take it no more. He had to get back coaching. So um, that's certainly a huge accomplishment uh, for Lisa Stockton and the Tulane Women's Basketball Program. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. I want to tell everybody, or remind them, I should say, on Fat Tuesday, hey, it's the party. The crew of WWL will be bringing you Mardi Gras Mambo, wall-to-wall coverage of the greatest free show on earth. Our WWL Mardi Gras coverage starts at 5 a.m. with Dave Cohen with our Carnival Preview. Then at 8 o'clock, we go live from the heart of the party at the Blake Hotel on St. Charles Avenue, just steps away from Gallia Hall. Let the good times roll with Tommy Tucker. Man, Tommy's up at 8. Uh, man, he normally is up much earlier than that. So Tommy gets to coordinate and supervise with Linda Cassidy from our sister station, Magic 101.9, starting at 8 a.m., and then followed at 11 by New Norman, and Scoot, tag teaming up to give you more Mardi Gras coverage in this year. Bayou's 95.7's Ashley, with a roving mic going all over in the crowd. We'll bring you all the sights and sounds of Mardi Gras, the marching club, Zulu, and Rex. Experience Carnival 2023 with the crew of WWL. Starting with Dave's preview, then live from the greatest free show on earth from 8 o'clock till we can't go no more. On AMFM.com and our sister station, Magic 101.9, live and free on the Odyssey app, all brought to you by LCMC Health, keeping you well this Mardi Gras season. Charlie, never a chance to uh, talk to you about it, but uh, how about your favorite player, Russell Westbrook, uh, signing with the uh, Los Angeles yeah, how about Clippers? That, huh? Man, man, the West sort of changed. Yeah, Real the, West, quickly. the West
4: changed a bunch. Who who was it that we had on? I think it was Christian Clark a couple weekends ago, uh, around the NBA trade deadline, where he said, "My kind of perspective on it is that the West got better and the Pelicans stayed the same, pretty much." It, it's he's right, and he's absolutely right. It was such a it was such a uh, a seller's market, though. Like all these teams that moved on from these big pieces, got a lot in return. And then other other guys had such high asking prices, like Toronto, for instance. Toronto was mentioned with OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam even,
2: and they didn't move any of them because the asking price was too high. Wasn't the Pistons the same way with a couple players that they had?
4: Yeah, like Bojan Bogdanovic. That was a, that was another player that, that apparently
2: man everybody was linked to him one way or another. Yeah, and then they didn't pull the trade off. Has Kevin Love officially signed with the Miami Heat? I believe so. Yeah.
4: Okay. So he's he's, he's, he's been bought out from his contract in Cleveland. I think he spent almost a decade there at this point, which is kind of crazy to think about, and now he's moving on to Miami.
2: So what do you think that does to, for the Heat?
4: Um. I think the Heat are a weird team in the East. Like, I don't think they're good enough to beat like the Boston's Boston. and the Milwaukee's and even or, like, uh, Philadelphia, even, even Philly. Right, but they're in that next tier. I, I think it's the East is a lot more separated than the West is. Like, the East has their top tier teams between, as I said, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Maybe Brooklyn's kind of sneaking up there. I, I mean, Mikael Bridges have been playing great ever since they traded him from the Suns. But in the West, it is just a Gobbly of, of just teams that are just all solid, not elite, except for the Nuggets. The Nuggets are the the clear number one team in the West, and then outside of that, everyone's within like five games of each other. So I, <laughs> and then you, and then of course you have the Spurs and the Rockets who are sitting at fourteen but and fifteen. They're out of everything.
0: I
2: think it may come down to this man Durant going to Phoenix, and that gonna be interesting. That impact of that guy because when he's healthy. Oh, uh, he's one of the three best in this league. Phoenix is going to find a way to mess it up. You uh, think so?
4: I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm pretty confident in that, too. And so you don't
2: think Monty can get that together?
4: I don't think it's going to be Monty's fault. I, I don't think it was Monty's fault that they lost to Milwaukee two years ago in the NBA Finals. It's something about Chris Paul, Mike. It's something about the curse of Chris Paul. He goes up 2-0. <laughs> he goes up 3-1. He, goes, he gets Chris all these
2: Paul series But Chris Paul has leads. made every team he's been with better when he goes there. Yep, can't can't win the playoffs though. Yeah, that that's been the not. It's been the curse. Now we haven't heard officially about Giannis's wrist injury, but I think he got X-rays and it'll be more treatment than anything else. Yeah, correct? I just I just uh, got an update on it on, from Twitter. Let me double check and. Get but I, I know he had, he went through the the medical procedure and the X-rays. Yeah. So
4: Woj it. tweeted out 30 minutes ago. Buckstar Giannis Antetokounmpo suffered a sprained ligament in his right wrist and will undergo treatment with the expectation that he'll be able to return to the lineup once the pain subsides. Sources tell ESPN he was examined in New York today. So no concrete timeline, but that that's what it is is a uh, sprained ligament in his right wrist. So
2: yeah, and I I don't expect he'll he'll miss three weeks. With, no, with, with that type of injury, man. Listen, I don't expect him to have a setback. Either. N- no, man. Listen, Giannis, man, uh, he's a he's a tilt to court player. Yeah, uh, he's he's
4: a very very gifted athlete,
2: and and he's a tough guy too. Uh, you know, he doesn't miss a lot of time uh, w- with injuries, so. Uh, we'll have more finishing up here with Sports Talk right after this break here on the Big 870. We're finishing up here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. We want to tell everybody at 7 o'clock, Matt McMahon show, LSU men's basketball coach. Been a rough year other than that early start uh, for Matt, so uh, he'll come on at 7 o'clock tonight. Um, also, to Charlie and a little nugget and from two different people who cover the Jets telling me this. Uh There says something to this, that more and more goes on that Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, wants them to wait to make a run toward Aaron Rodgers. We knew in the past it was Mr. Johnson's idea to go after Brett Favre. Uh, and so he wants to make a move uh, toward Aaron Rodgers. And uh, what happens here? Does he convince... Um, uh, Joe Doug, well, you don't have to convince he can just tell him that's what I want. uh Joe Douglas and Robert sala y'all can get off the Derek Carr train, and does somebody else get involved with Carr now? most likely team I think would be the Carolina Panthers,
4: yeah, and you talked about Carolina as a potential landing spot for Carr and how it just makes sense. I don't know about rogers i, I the the thing with Rogers is that it's also in the dark. No pun intended. That he's going on this dark retreat or whatever he's doing right now. I mean, I, I love how Bobby says that he's always doing shrooms and whatnot. He's just so he's just a weird cat. But I mean, coming back from this whole break that he's going on, if he comes out and says, "Yeah, I'm gonna play a couple more years," then yeah, I mean, if you're the Jets owner and you want that flashy hire, yeah, because Woody ain't getting no
2: younger. No. Okay. Okay. You hit that TikTok clock is the worst thing you can hear as an older person. Uh, but uh, I, I think there is no doubt that this is coming from really good sources. That Woody Johnson again is becoming more and more involved in the decision-making process with the Jets. He wants Aaron Rodgers,
4: and and I think it makes sense to to an extent. If you remember. We were just talking with the Locked On Jets podcast host, and he was saying that you know the Jets had a great draft class between the last Garrett two Wilson, years.
2: Other than Beckton right, and Zach Wilson, but the last Garrett couple Wilson, years have
4: done well. Brees Hall, Sauce Gardner, Elijah Vera Tucker—they got some really good young pieces there that are on rookie deals. They'll have to pay them eventually, but right now they're on those rookie contracts. This is the time if you want to spend big on a court, a big name quarterback and try and open a window, it's almost similar to what happened with the Saints in 20, the 2017 NFL draft where they got a flush of young talent and that opened their window for, with Drew Brees for a couple more years and they kept trying to compete. They kept trying to compete. I think that's probably the, the certain like script, I guess you could say, that the Jets are going to try and follow. They have all these really good young players on rookie deals. They can afford to spend that type of money on a guy like Aaron Rodgers, bring him in and see what they can do.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. I'll never forget we do in the draft twenty seventeen. Deke's sitting right next to me and I get a text, like two picks before the Saints pick. So Buffalo's picking ahead of the Saints. And the text comes in, the Saints will pick Aaron uh, Saints will pick Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Uh and so we had went to a break, we were talking about it. Bobby gets into the conversation. You sure? I'm like, the the guy who sent it to me, he would know. And then we see all of a sudden Kansas Kansas City City makes the trade with Buffalo and ends up being Mahomes. Uh, Now, Marshawn Lattimore has been a really good player in this league, but Mahomes would have changed the world. For this franchise, just
4: a just a nightmare reminder for all the Saints fans out there.
2: Yeah, how close it came! How, uh, how close it really, really tough. came. It's tough, Mike. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it. Have yep. a good Mardi Gras. Be safe out there. Uh, as well. I'm gonna try myself. So, uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank all our guests tonight. All super, and we are, certainly appreciate Jay Johnson and also Lisa Stockton for coming on with us. Hey, stay tuned. Matt McMahon's show will be on the Big Eight Seventy right after this break.